opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. If you're listening and you'd like to call into the show, we would love to hear from you, so I'd like to give you that call-in number. It is 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. And uh, I also want to mention our social media pages so that you can be sure to uh, follow us and, and keep up on all things related to the show. You can find us at Women to Watch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, uh, of course, the uh, website for our show is womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. So I'm thrilled this afternoon to have with me in the studio our very own in-house financial contributor, Kristen Hillsley. Uh, again, Kristen is uh, a member of the Foley Hillsley Group um, right here in Bluebell outside of Philadelphia. And we're so happy to have her coming on to the show once a month to talk about Money Matters. And she's going to have an ongoing blog as well where she'll be updating us on things related to uh, finances and uh, money that are in the news and uh, pertaining to our families and and all of that good stuff. And, excuse me, in Waiting in the Wings, I have a wonderful guest this afternoon who's uh, calling in. Her name is Thayer Laviel, and Thayer is the Senior Vice President of Business Integration and Development at Wasserman Advertising Group. So we're going to be chatting with her in just a few moments. Um, But first, we're going to talk with Kristen, and uh, her topic today is talking to our kids about money, uh, which I think is more important than ever, um, as kids are, you know, very much interested in attaining material things today and able to do so quite easily online, so we got to keep an eye on them. Um, so first of all, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Sue. Happy to be here. Good to have you. Um, but uh, yeah, talking to our kids about money is, is really important, and um, I guess my first question for you is how early is too early to start teaching them? Well, I think, and maybe this is just the financial advisor in me, but my advice is that it's never too early to start talking to your kids um, about money. I have a great story. We just got back from Disney last month, and um, I gave both of my kids a budget while we were gone, and I said, here's how much money you can spend. You can buy anything you want while you're there, but when that money is done, it's done. And it was really funny to see how each of the kids handled the money differently. We should mention their age. Yep. So I have a three-year-old girl named Grace and a six-year-old son named Ryan. And um, even at three years old, she blew through her budget in (laughs) three days. Typical girl. Um, You know, she loved everything that she wanted. She got a little dress. She got a little crown. She had a great time. And then Ryan was very careful and very methodical. And he did not buy a single thing until the last day. And then the last day, he went nuts. And he bought every Disney thing that he could find within his budget. And Grace just, she just couldn't 
handle it. She didn't understand why <laughs> yeah. she didn't have any money yet left. Um, but it was actually really a cool situation because both of them did understand the concept when they ran out or when they had spent their last dime, they were fine with it. They didn't worry about, you know, oh, gosh, they, they weren't whining. They weren't complaining. Asking for more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was really, really help, helpful for us. Um, so I think you can talk to your kids at any time. Um, the most important thing, though, I think that families together need to decide what their goal is. So for some families, they want their kids to be the, you know, next superstar wealthy that's very important to them um some families say you know i just want my kids to do a little bit better than i did and for my family with my husband and i it's really important for our kids um to learn the value of hard work um and so we've tried to do that in lots of different ways but one thing for young kids is that they can understand the concept of an allowance and so that doesn't mean though it doesn't mean putting money in their pocket for us right, right. if our kids do certain things or meet certain uh goals that we set for them in the course of a week then they get extra tv time or for my son it's uh video game time and they love it, and, it, and it's very helpful for us because we get all the chores done with, like, no muss, no fuss, and right, they get right. a reward out of it, too. So yeah. talk to them early. Yeah. The that's, early, the better. That's a great tip. I mean, really, I don't know that uh, many parents would start at, you know, two, three years old um, talking or, or educating them, I'll, I'll say teaching them, but um, we can and we should. Let's talk about um, now the kids are growing up and they're going to college, going off to college, and today we talk about tuition and, uh, you know, the expense of college today on the show quite a bit. Um, it's incredibly expensive. And so what kind of conversation should we be having with them as they're approaching that college age? What mm-hmm. should they know about? <clears throat> well, I think um, going back to the the talking about setting a goal for your family, um, something that's really important is that the way you talk to your kids about money has to evolve. So I might be talking to my three and six year old about an allowance or a budget right now, but a college age student still has those same needs. They have to understand budgeting. And uh, for our family, it's the overarching goal is to teach them to work hard. Um, And so you just have to tailor your message as they get older and they enter um, that, that college age. Um, But one really, really important piece of advice that I would have for parents as their kids are going off to college is for for the parents to make good financial choices for themselves. Um, you have to set a good example for your kids. And I have seen um, in the course of my work too many parents that have dismantled their own retirement savings to send their kids to school. And one thing I try and remind people is that that, that there's no student loan for retirement. Right. It's not yeah. out there. Um, but there are, you know, and, but, but it's so difficult. I mean, college costs are rising at a rate of between 5 and 6% per year. Mm-hmm. So so, um, you know, if you have, I have um, a wonderful woman that cuts my hair. She's due in two weeks, and we were just talking about her, um, her soon-to-be son. They would have to save $600 a month starting the month that he's born until he's 18 years old to save enough to, for him to go to Penn State in 18 years. Wow, to Penn State, mm-hmm. Penn State College. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Yeah. So that I want you to mention to the listeners that you, you um, look for opportunities to talk to the children of your clients. You know, if clients come in and they say, gosh, my, my teenagers, my 20, you know, 20 year old, they really have no concept of money and uh, they're not paying attention that you will bring those kids in and talk to them individually. Mm-hmm. Our team, uh, the Foley Hilsey group, we work for a company called Robert W. Baird and Baird is so conscientious of, um, helping us help the children of our clients. We really want them to succeed because as parents, you watch your child evolve and, and now they're graduating from college and you want them to make all the right choices, but but now they, they need to be able to make their own um, right financial decisions. And so we always invite and encourage the children of our clients to come in and have a, a meeting and set up a retirement plan because when a when a young adult comes into our offices, um, it's funny because a lot of times the parents will say, oh, you know, I don't think they're interested in money and they don't really, I don't think they're going to be making good financial decisions. But those are often the kids that come in and they have, you know, their little agenda and they have their things that are important to them. And if you can put a financial plan together for them to show them, if you start saving just a little bit every month. If you make, you know, when you're starting your job, make sure to put enough money away that you're at least getting your match. And what kind of outcome will that have for you financially? And when they can see that over the long term, it's not that painful. And yeah. it's really exciting for them. Yeah, and I think it's important to get them to focus on the future, mm-hmm. right? We're very much in the moment. If we can start to paint the picture of why it's important to plan and invest, um, they, they want to have a good future for themselves and their own families. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I just wanted you to talk about is is how do we get kids to really uh, stand on their own two feet when they graduate? Or more importantly, how do we get the parents to really let them go and do that, you know, kind of cut those ties. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is it is a really tough time for parents and for children um, because the parents do have to let their children go in terms of they have to give them the freedom to make financial decisions. And unfortunately, there's going to come times where maybe they aren't going to make the best financial decisions. But that's a really beautiful part of life is that we all stumble. And so sharing with your children your own mistakes that you've made is probably just as as powerful mm-hmm. as sharing with them the successes that you have. Um, and so I think uh, open lines of communication are really important. And then to try and you want to make sure that your kids understand debt. If they had to take student loans out in college, which most people do, put take them online and, and show them what a college calculator looks like and teach them what that monthly spending number is going to be. Um, help them with things like identity theft. When they're in college and just after college, that's when they're starting their credit cards, and that's where their personal information is starting to get spread out there into the Internet universe. And, you know, you might not think that they have a lot of money, but – an identity is an identity is an identity to people who are trying to steal them. Mm, and true. so they're just as much as at risk as, as, as anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I would be focusing on, too. Tell them to learn how to um, download their credit score. Um, how many adults don't know how to do that uh, that have been working for many years? So it's really important. Those kind of basic things are, are very important for our younger people. Yeah. Great tips, as always. Um, Thank you. 
give your um, contact information out real quick, especially for I know that you did a report um, or a white paper um, on talking to kids about money so people can find it. Yes, we have a report on our website. You can visit foleyhillsleygroup.com. That's F-O-L-E-Y. H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y group.com and we have a bunch of different white papers on there. One of the great things about the firm is we're always trying to put um, different reports out there to help our, our clients and the children of our clients but this one in particular is called Teaching Kids to Be Financially Fit and it's available. Download it and if you have any questions just reach out to us. Our phone number is 610-238-6636. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll talk to you next month. Or before, I'm sure. Great. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, Now I'd like to introduce our uh, very special guest this afternoon. Again, her name is Thayer Laviel, and Thayer is the Senior Vice President of Business Integration and Development at Wasserman uh, Advertising Group. Thayer, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's great to have you. Are you you calling in from North Carolina? I am. I'm I'm in uh, my office in Raleigh and heading out to Los Angeles today. Oh, you are? Oh, my gosh. You have a busy day. (laughs) The marvels of technology. I know. Well, I appreciate your taking time, um, you know, really to come and share your story with our listeners. I know how busy you are. Um, And I want to start out um, with your upbringing and your background, as we always do on Women to Watch. And um, one of the things that, you know, stuck out for me was the amount of, of moving around that you did as a young girl. You were born in Boston. Um, you lived in Providence. Um, you moved to Princeton, New Jersey at the age of nine and then to D.C. at age 12. Um, yep. That, you know, that must have been tough. Tell me what it was like to be, um, you know, living in three different places by the age of 12 as a young girl. So... Um I don't look at it as tough, actually. You know, I, I think the move was the move from Providence to Princeton was a, you know, a byproduct of divorce. Um, my parents had split up, and my father had moved to Princeton. Uh, my mother had moved to D.C., and they were very, very amicably separated. And so um, it was my three brothers and I moved down to, to Princeton, New Jersey, to live with my dad, and we would, you know, shuttle I don't know, on the weekends or long weekends or over summer breaks, we'd shuttle on the Amtrak uh, line down to D.C. to see my mom and back. And uh, so the move down to D.C. just felt natural at the time. It didn't feel like it was extenuating. I will say that moving from Princeton to Bethesda to, to Washington was probably the harder adjustment just because of the age. It was I was about 12 and yeah. you know, heading into seventh grade, and there's all that awkwardness. Mm, all that drama. But among girls. Yeah, all the that- drama and just, you know, <laughs> it's just such an awful time anyway that it felt like the right move um, at the time. My, my dad had just remarried and I inherited two more brothers um, who are fantastic, but it just felt like I needed my mom at that point. Yeah, and, um, yeah. It just felt like, I think, a lot at once. But yeah. it was good. At the end of the day, it was it was formative and it was a good it was a good move. Yeah, good, good. And you, so you mentioned five brothers. So five brothers and you. Did you ever have a you know desire um, for sisters or wish that you had sisters or were you uh, fine with the boys? I guess I, I mean I didn't really know any differently. So I I love the fact that I have so many brothers. They have really shaped who I am. In fact, when I say to people, I have five brothers, does that all make sense now? And they're like, oh, okay, got it. Um, <laughs> Were you a tomboy? I'm, yeah, I was a tomboy and I'm competitive and I'm, I'm um, relatively fearless about things. I am, you know, 
pretty gregarious. I just am not a very demure little lady very often. So, <laughs> um, And I'm also very blessed that I have amazing sisters-in-law on both sides, both my husband's side and, and my side, that I just feel incredibly blessed that I adore each and every one of them and that they're they're like sisters to me so yeah um, I, I think now I wish I had a sister but I don't know I I kind of like it the way it is yeah well, I, I have brothers as well no sisters and I think as you said you just whatever it is that you have is is that's family right yep exactly yeah. tell exactly. me talk to me a little bit about your high school years what kind of activities were you involved in um so I was at a private school in Washington, D.C. for called Sidwell Friends for through my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And then I made a decision that I wanted to go to a public school. At that point, one of my brothers had moved down to live with us, and he was at a public school in Bethesda. And I had decided my junior year that I wanted to go there as well. Um, I'm looking back on that. I probably would have made a different decision, but it was what it was. Um, in high school, and really Thankfully, throughout my entire life, um, I have been blessed with athletic genes and a, a desire to play sports, and so played sports, um, you know, throughout my high school career and played field hockey and lacrosse, and, um, you know, really that's the way I found my center of friends. Um, and otherwise, I don't know, I was doing, you know, the normal things, getting into trouble, I'm sure, and babysitting and learning to drive and thinking boys are cute. And um, <laughs> I was just going to say, out. playing sports keeps girls out of trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it definitely kept me on a schedule, let's just say right. that. But yes. Um, I, it, it, it narrowed the boundaries of trouble. I think if you ask my parents out of all of the uh, kids, I was they, I was probably the one they had, they worried about least. Oh, the least. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me then. Tell me, you know, I think we all struggle with one thing or another as as a young girl. You know, trying to grow up, find our confidence, um, not be distracted by things like boys. What what was difficult for you? Um, I mean, I for me, I think I went through a period of, um, uh, you know, when I look back on it now, a period of, you know. A dark period, I would say, from probably when I was about 16 to, I don't know, 17, 18, something like that, where it just was hard um, to figure out my way. And I think that was, you know, exacerbated by figuring out should I should I eat or should I not eat? Should mm-hmm. I overexercise? Should I not? Should I try that drink or try that drug or should I not? Um, and trying to, it's just all the social pressure of trying to fit in and really not figuring out my own moral compass at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to be fair, my, my dad and stepmom were, uh, you know, a few hundred miles away doing the best they could with a whole bunch of boys. And my mom was, um, you know, working in radio, actually, just like you, and, um, and you know, working two jobs and doing the best that she could. And I just was trying to figure it out in a lot of ways. And so I, I had a period where it was um, not all happy-go-lucky. And I don't. I think people would be surprised by that because I'm pretty happy-go-lucky today. But I think it's because I went through that that I'm grateful for what I have. Yeah. Can you point to um, someone who helped guide you through that period? Or did, did you kind of just self-reflect and, and, and work on yourself alone? No, I had I, – I, it was bigger than that. It was too big for me to, to, to do that. I think I tried that. Um, I had a really good friend of one of my brothers um, who, you know, was 
just we were all really tight. We're, the good thing about all my brothers is we're all really close in age, so we all have a lot of the same friends. And I think um, I think the this way the events went was he ended up going to my mom and said, hey, you, you need to pay some attention over here. Mm. Uh, struggling. And I didn't even realize how much I was struggling um, because I was getting I was getting great grades and I was still playing field hockey and I was still, you know, having all the appearances of a normal life. And I just was was banging around in my own head. And mm. um, and so he really, I think, dipped in there and said, hey, we we need to come together. And so my mom woke up and, you know, got got involved and got engaged and I went to see a I don't know licensed um social worker or something like that which she was great you know I don't remember feeling like wow this is really helpful but I do remember feeling like someone was on my side yeah someone was really just kind of dedicated to hearing me yeah I think that's so great that you're that you know you had one of the brothers stood up spoke and spoke up right I think yeah you know yeah yeah one of his friends yeah 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 I think that's. I mean, real. I think they all like. I think all today, you know, we're we enjoy my brothers and I certainly enjoy a closeness, and and that friend and I are still friends, and he's friends with with my brother still. So yeah, it's nice to to be able to look back on that and know that you know somebody somebody had your back, and it wasn't right. that my anyone else didn't. It was just that we're busy. We get busy, and it's it's easier sometimes to say I'm going to ignore that than I'm going to have to figure that out. Well, not only that, I think we see often a lot, and this is young girls and young boys, but they're they're thriving in school, and perhaps they're involved in sports and activities, and everything on the surface looks fine, um, but there's a struggle going on. And that's why I think it's always, you know, it's important that that people are paying attention. Um, Because we do. We pretend when we're young that everything's fine when when very often it's not. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. For sure. I mean, I have a 13-year-old son and an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old, and I eagle eye my kids as much as I can particularly my 13 year old because I, I know bet. how tricky that age is yes you know, it's hard. it he's is a locked vault of you know emotion so right right <laughs> who knows how he's really feeling <laughs> right I know I know we got to keep on him without being too much you know we it's yeah. such a fine line you don't want to push them away but we want to stay engaged and connected to them yes and yeah. set the expectation of their behavior and and what that looks like exactly so, so you are married and you have three children. Tell me about your kids real quick. What are they involved in? Um, so my oldest, it, well, they're all athletic mm-hmm. um, as well. I didn't realize what kind of a sports family we were. My husband's pretty athletic as well until um, one of my brothers came down, and his family is into other things. And we were just trying to figure out what to do, and everything that we could come up with was very – sports and movement based and I was like wow I didn't realize how into this we are as a family maybe we should broaden our horizons and go see a museum or something yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah so they're very into soccer um, and my daughter is plays soccer and uh, does gymnastics as well mm-hmm. good um, yeah. so this is interesting to me you went off to Colgate University and uh, you got a bachelor's in French and religion and when I look yes. at your, you know, the full scope of your career, that was a little surprising to me. What? Tell me what um, your aspirations were at that time, and what made you choose that major? Oh gosh, um, my aspirations. I'm not sure I had much. I, I don't think I had many aspirations other than, you know, figuring out how to get through the next next class or where the next kind of party was at that point. But. Mm. Um, and I think, it, you know, Colgate is an amazing 
amazing school, and, and the best thing about it is that everyone that is there is happy to be there, and so it's a very vibrant, happy community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say that it's a great liberal arts education, and me coming out of that, I was very, I was not prepared for life. I didn't have any sense of what I wanted to really be when I grew up or what that next step was. And so um, French and religion were both were both um, passions of mine, and, and not that I'm, I am or have ever been particularly religious, but I've always been very curious as to why people believe what they believe, and um, and the stories that go along with all of these different religions and ultimately how exactly alike they all are. Mm. Um, and then to, from a French perspective, I had a wonderful teacher in seventh grade who was exotic and um, French and interesting and gave me a hook into something that felt culturally different and made me fall in love with France and the French culture. And we ended up going on a school trip one summer over there uh, with with her and a group of other kids, and I just fell in love with the culture. Um, and so I, you know, went back again in in high school for part of a summer, and then majored in it mostly because I wanted to continue to to go back and wanted to continue to base part of my life within the French culture. And ultimately, I, my husband is French. I met my husband over there, and I think that's why I kept getting drawn over. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. I mean, you know what, religion is, it is a fascinating subject um, that I think, as you pointed out, it's, there's so many interesting things to learn um, and, and, and get to know without necessarily being uh, interested in pursuing a career in religion. I think it's just a great, yep. great, um, you know, it's good knowledge to have as far as interacting with people from different backgrounds. Um and when you tell, when did you meet your husband in France? I met my husband when so I graduated from Colgate and had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. So except that I knew I wanted to go to France and move over there. And um, so I had worked for about six months. I worked two jobs and um, yeah, both of which I hated, and just to save up enough money to go. And so I ended up going and. Uh, maybe six months after I graduated, and ended up um, meeting him a couple months in. And we've, you know, all of 22 or something, same as him. So we've been together a long time. That's so nice. That's so nice. You know, know. you're a perfect example of we can still be in college and not know what we want to be when we grow up. You know, I... Yeah, I mean, I say that all the time today, though, Sue. I'm like, I don't, you know, if you told me in 10 years, what would you be doing? I don't know. I've, I've been a victim of amazing fortune and hard work and mm-hmm. and the fearlessness to take the take the leap um, and that was another example of it that I think was instilled in me pretty early growing up with five brothers to just go just who says you can't yeah. um, so or would you and a big deal right and you know I find that there's there's often two kinds of people people that really you know plan and plan and make lists and set goals um, and and work towards that, which we all know, you know, rarely can we control anything. But And others who kind of really live in the moment, um, what am I feeling right now? What is it that I think is the right next step for me? Would you say you fall more into that category? I would, although I have, as I have gotten older, realized the value of goal setting and planning and 
and I've learned that through business. I've been able to learn, um, obviously, through, through product launches and through marketing plans and through strategic goals and all of those things, and then how to turn that around and, and apply that to my life which and, and my marriage and our collective partnership and our kids. And um, it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work to be organized and goal-oriented. But at the end of the day, I do think it makes life – it makes – the choices we make easier to make because we have a foundation or we've thought through what those initial tent poles are. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Um, And I think you can be someone who, you know, really enjoys um, being a little bit more spontaneous but also, you know, be somewhat organized with with your life and, and, and have some goals. Um, yes. Yeah. So your, I guess your first big job with a major uh, company or brand was with Nike. Is that right? No. So Nike Communications. Yeah. So I, I went from working in television um, where I essentially got a job being a desk assistant and running scripts and uh, basically doing anything like answering the phones to, you know, I don't know, running videotape at that point or researching to getting into uh, the public relations business um, with this small boutique agency called Nike Communications. And Nike Communications is focused primarily, at, I believe it's still in existence in New York, um, on luxury products. And oh, so okay. It was my, yeah, it was my first foray into working with brands like Tag Heuer and Mont Blanc and a couple others, but it was also a really great way to learn how to storytell mm. and how to craft um, actually to really understand that perception is reality. Yeah. No matter what's really going on, it is reality if, if it's perceived a certain way and that, you know, PR is a great way to control that. Mm. So that was your, that was your introduction into, you know, I guess public relations and, and marketing and advertising. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, listen, Thayer, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about um, the different places that you worked and and what was it that kind of took you from place to place to place. We'll be right sure. back. Thanks. This is Kristen Hillsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hillsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a women's lifestyle conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to an- announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more, all available at womentowatch.net and our own website, foleyhillsleygroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at FoleyHillsleyGroup.com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, member SIPC. Log on to FoleyHillsleyGroup.com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y Group.com. Or call 610-238-6636. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. 
Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm pleased to announce the opening of the region's newest, most innovative gynecology practice in the Philadelphia area, Montgomery Gynecology. Led by Dr. Hima Janogada in a welcoming boutique-style setting, she and her team are committed to providing the highest standard of cutting-edge care without losing the personal touch that is so very important in today's world. With a particular interest in minimally invasive surgical options, Dr. Hema completed advanced training in robotic surgery and is one of only two surgeons in Montgomery County who performs this highly specialized single-site robotic surgery. For more information on the opening of this exciting new practice in the convenient Plymouth Meeting location, go to www.montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411. That's montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411 to make an appointment today. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Women to Watch on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this afternoon by Thayer Laviel. And Thayer is the Senior Vice President of Business Integration and Development at Wasserman Advertising Group. Um, You know, Thayer, sometimes uh, when I have guests on the show and um, they are not the typical, you know, you graduate college, you go to a company and you stay there forever, uh, which is is not very common. I'm always curious to know if the moving around comes from, um, you know, where, where that comes from, whether it's kind of a discontent. Or is it the excitement of a new challenge? Um, is it uh, you're, you've reached your pinnacle of learning in any particular organization and just ready to move on? Tell me what it was for you um, as you moved from the different companies you were with. And I'll just name a couple, uh, L'Oreal, Lancome, JR Motorsports, BrandThink, um, as well as uh, producing for World News Tonight and Good Morning America. Yes. So um, for me, I have been blessed with opportunities that have um, I've either chased, created, or have been put before me. And so when I moved to France uh, originally after college, I had you know no idea what I wanted to be. And my mother, as I had mentioned, was in radio. And so I just decided to go knock on the doors of I think it was CBS and ABC News in Paris had had bureaus. Those were the only ones that really had full bureaus there. And 
eventually um, I got a job as, you know, chief coffee getter and videotape logger or something at ABC <laughs> and was, was just happy to show up. You know, yeah. I, didn't, I don't even think I was paid. I was just happy to have a place to go every day. And, I love that you uh, just went and knocked on the door. I love that. Yeah. Why I not? mean, I just, I just felt, why not? What do I have to lose? And, um, and I just, you know, eventually I, there was the 50th anniversary of D-Day, not to date myself, but I just did. Um, and the entire news bureau from New York came over, the news desk came over, and I guess they liked what, what I was doing. And so they said, hey, when you come back, you know, let us know and we'll, we'll have a job for you. And so I was fortunate enough to um, get a job there. And then from there it was, you know, I'm a firm believer in put your head down and do good work. And, um, you know, it's not all about political games or, or hardly about political games. I just believe in, you know, do do really good, smart work. And, um, you know, that will shine in, a, in and of its own. And um, I've been blessed with advocates that I have not always sought but have, you know, given me wings in ways that I didn't know I had. Um, and so I you know, have been able to jump at opportunities or, or honestly at L'Oreal, I was kind of pushed into marketing. I had no desire to be in marketing. And um, my boss at the time said, you need to take this job and, and realize a different side of yourself. And I did. Mm. And um, I had to be really fearless about it. And I, I had no idea what anything about marketing. I didn't understand net versus retail. I didn't understand cost of goods. I didn't understand, um, you know, just the the basics, because I'd never gone to a, you know, to a graduate program, and I um, wasn't really sure I wanted to, and so I, he gave me a, a bit of a crash course, and so I'd have these phone calls with um, some of these operational people that would say, hey, so your, um, I don't know, your shaving cream didn't pass QA, and I'd say, okay, and the <laughs> woman would say, and that you need to be. You need to care because this means blah 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 blah. And I'd be like, oh, okay. So now I know what I need to do. But I, it was a little bit of dot connecting and, and these little like angels within the company that would help me, that helped me grow. And so yeah. then that led to another opportunity. And um, you know, life just kind of has unfolded before me. And I've been I've been so grateful actually that I've been able to work in different industries and different fields because um, I think it's made me more well-rounded and a better employee because of it. I bet. I bet. Can you point to to a time when you kind of hit, hit your stride with, you know, your confidence? Um, were you at one particular – were you doing one particular job or at one particular company when you started to really feel like you were coming into your own? Hmm. I would say that that's probably happened more recently than not. I think it's also depended – the t- length of time in any job. I mean, I think in the beginning of any job, everyone wishes they were six months in. Yes, right. Uh, because those first six months are so, so awkward and hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where I am today in life, being a, a mother and a wife and having a career and feeling comfortable in what I do and how I do it, and, you know, there's a there's power to being in your 40s, I think, that of just – um, self-realization and forgiveness and um, joy and all of these things that just like the puzzle pieces of life somehow come together mm-hmm. um, that I feel today more confident than I ever have and more confident that my ability to continue to to serve and be of service and to to um, 
do good work and to teach and mentor and deliver is, you know, continues to, to grow. Yeah, I, I think there's um, things that we get involved in also outside of our job or work that are meaningful, you know, kind of add to our um, our confidence and, and uh, just kind of knowing more who we are. I wanted to talk about and mention your um, affiliation with Girl Rising um, yep. and why it was important to you to, to support that group. Can you talk about that for a few minutes? Sure, sure. And um, I will give props to, to Holly Gordon. So Holly uh, was actually one of the people I met on that very first Normandy trip in whatever year that was of uh, D-Day of the 50th anniversary of D-Day. So Holly and I have known each other forever, and she is the founder, one of the founders of Girl Rising, and um, just a brilliant organization and an amazing social campaign that is out to change the world and out to really answer the question, how do we eradicate poverty? And the question, the answer, that's the question, and the answer is you do that by educating girls. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, really anything that Holly is involved with, I want to be involved with because she's such a rock star. But... um, it was. It came to how can I help Holly? How can I be of service to this cause that you're working on? And in my limited way, not only limited in terms of location because she's in New York, but also in terms of time and energy. And she's a mom, and I'm a mom. And you know, it comes down to what expertise can I lend to that cause? And so it just, you know, it has been helping on some business, um, you know, looks in terms of sponsorships and part, um, partnerships. Uh, and I think we'll continue to go down that path as they get their new board in, in order here soon. Good. I, yeah, I think it's a great organization. And when what year were they founded? I think 2011 Okay, is so, when they really started this question. Yeah, and have you been with them from the beginning? No, I probably really got involved in you know, 2013 maybe. Okay, yeah. Um, so – I wanted to mention that I guess most of the work that Wasserman does is in the entertainment and sports industry. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Um, And I I found a quote, uh, something that you said that I think is really important. Um, In this day and age, why can we not find equal treatment in sports uh, for men and women? What are your thoughts on that? We we recently had a, um, a guest on the show who's, devoted to exactly that, trying to to bring, um, you know, equality in for women in sports. Yeah. Um, you know, this hits home for me. Uh, when I was in college, I played uh, on our ice hockey team and our women's ice hockey team, and we were a club sport at the time, and we were a really good team. And I was definitely not one of the good ones on the team, but we were a really good team. And um, we played competitively, and yet we had zero um, say or zero power in our ice times or equipment or, you know, we were just always the bottom of the barrel mm-hmm. And because we were a club sport, and that's just the way we were deemed. And so we had to sue the school for Title IX, and we were blessed with an amazing athletic director uh, at the time who was supportive. And we ended up winning that Title IX suit. And today the women's ice hockey team at Colgate is immensely successful in a varsity sport and um, gets the same accolades as, as the men. And so for me it's, a, it's an issue that I feel, um, you know, is one that hits home because we as athletes work as hard 
as the men do. And when I look across many of the athletes that we represent at Wasserman, uh, you have amazing athletes, both men and women. And to see the um, the money that one type of athlete might get versus, you know, that a male athlete might get versus a female athlete is is discouraging. It's just discouraging. And so when, you know, we look at the U.S. women's soccer team or just recently the U.S. hockey team, women's hockey team, you know, having really to go toe-to-toe for just very minimal basic rights and basic salaries, um, it, it's frustrating to see because they're working just as hard and in, in some cases more successful. Yes, that's right. If you look at team team by team, do you think it's getting better? Would you say, you know, even since your time at Wasserman, do you see um, any more exposure for women athletes than there was years ago? I feel oh, yeah. as though absolutely. I do. Yeah, so. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yep. But I do think we have to be smarter marketers around women than, than um, straight up uh, male, you know, superstars. Yes, right. And, yeah. and I don't, and that's not to disparage what these men are capable of because they, in their own right, are amazing athletes. And mm-hmm. it's just the way that society has been set up to um, really put them or their sports that they play in on a pedestal. Right. And that's okay. Right. Um, it's just. Yeah, it's just a different a different world. And so when we look across our female athletes, we oftentimes have to be smarter about how we market them and more, um, I don't know, authentic to who they are. Or we have to be um, a little bit more clever in what the types of partnerships that we're doing. Mm. So it, it just makes us think differently. Yeah. And it's never the same amount of money. You know, one of the I took a statement from from your website that said that this just resonated with me. You know, uh, we know that the world is a cluttered and noisy place, um, and so when you talk about setting yourself apart, what would you say that um, are one of your I'll say tactics, I guess, then for being creative and and setting yourself apart from other advertisers and and marketing folks. Yeah, so we don't traditionally do, uh, or we don't do traditional advertising here. We do more uh, athlete representation, brand and property, um, marketing and partnership work. We do a lot of social media work, and we do some advertising through that space. Um, I would say what sets us apart is, um, A, the people that work here are amazing, the smartest group I've ever worked with. Uh, but they are also diverse, and they come from different backgrounds, and they have a, a way of looking at things that bring different perspectives. Um, what separates us is our ability to be creative and curious and uh, collaborative beyond beyond pale. I mean, it's my first day on the job or week on the job. I had called somebody I didn't know in this company at a very far-flung office and said, hey, I have this opportunity, and they, you know, called me right back, and they didn't know me at L'Oreal. That never would have happened. <laughs> I would have gone for weeks without hearing back. I would have gone into a voicemail. Wow. You know, you must have, yeah, it must have been refreshing. You thought, wow. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's just a really wonderful family of, of people here at Wasserman. Yeah. Um, but I think also what separates us is, is our real dedication to our clients. We We honestly are out there looking for uh, the best opportunities and whatever that may be. And that's going to be different for somebody like Alex Morgan than it's going to be for 
American Express, and it's going to be for West, Russell Westbrook, uh, but it's really taking that individual client in and of their own to make sure that we're doing right by them. Mm-hmm. Now, I would imagine working in you know the entertainment industry and in sports with athletes that um, you know there's some some serious egos out there, um, and I wondered how you go about uh, you know what's your your philosophy for working with these uh, types of people and kind of finding common ground? Um, I don't find, I'm sure there are lots of big egos out there. I don't find that in the sports industry I run into that too much and the entertainment industry maybe a little bit more. But, um, you know, I look at particularly sports as a bit of a moving cocktail party where, you know, people are, are for the most part pretty cordial. They do fair deals. They um, are willing to come to the table and negotiate well because there's always another time and a place that will work together. Um, I, I think if you just put your head down and do good work and, you know, it's kind of like what you teach your kids, right? Do good work, be kind, um, you know, connect people, be of service. All of those touch points really serve well in business. I mean, it's just a matter of ego or no ego. You, that's there. Everybody's an individual, and that's what they believe of themselves. You just have to still go in and say, "Well, we're just going to do our best job here." Right. <laughs> this yeah. is a different challenge. Yeah. So you you actually report directly to the uh, COO of Wasserman, yep. and um, yep. you know, it's a big company. It's a big job. There's a lot going on. Can you? Um, and this is not a very creative question, but I'd love to hear you describe your typical day what you know is it just meeting Mm -hmm. after meeting after meeting um Um, no uh my typical day is completely atypical um so because the way that we're structured has you know three main areas of business serving i would say brands talent and properties um we have a marketing group that really does everything from uh, working with brands and properties across, you know, experiential events and partnerships and uh, measurement and research and insights and, you know, how to really strategically bring something to life. And then you have our uh, social media group that amplifies and how do we do that. And then we have our talent group across, you know, 1,600 athletes across 51 sports. Um, and my role is to do a couple things. One is to integrate a lot of these these people that are working across developing business. And so you might have somebody that says, hey, I have, uh, I want to go develop a piece of business with uh, XYZ brand or Acme. And I'll say, oh, that's great because so-and-so in this group is already working with Acme or did you know that Acme was already a client? Or so a little bit of a human CRM and trying to connect connect the dots. Another mm-hmm. part of it is you know, in educating and making sure people across the company as we continue to grow understand what all the elements you know, do what what every division does, and and you know what their goals are, um, and then you know the other part is to you know help as much as I can to market as our athletes or uh, some of our standalone projects uh, in terms of getting ourselves out there and connected and um, making sure that you know we're setting ourselves up for success in in every way that we're growing, be that in a region or be that through a new type of business that we might want to look at, um, or how do we, you know, look at something as much as we represent over 100 female athletes, and how do we 
tell tell that story. Right. That's a great story to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's always about right. telling the story, right? It's, yes. It's, all it's story- always about storytelling. It yeah. is. Yeah, you have to be a good storyteller. Yeah. For sure. So yeah. my day is completely atypical from one to the next. It yeah. just, you know, follows a bit of a cadence in terms of big events that are happening, but it can also uh, be dependent on areas of focus for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just it just completely depends. So do you feel... Very gray. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what, and I think it's more exciting when your your day is not typical. I think redundancy can be really tough. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel as though you're you're able to manage career and, and family? I mean, that's... That's a lot of responsibility, you know, three kids, a husband, um, and, and a big job. How, or maybe I should say this. How, how are you managing it? How, how do you, you know, what is your philosophy for um, getting through the day, the week, without really feeling stressed out, overwhelmed? Yeah. Um, I th- well, I, look, I think every working parent, not just mom, but every working parent has to figure out what that balance is that makes them comfortable um, I am blessed with a husband who has a job that does not travel very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, um, you know, he's a bit of a tether to my balloon. I like to go wander, and, and I don't mind traveling so much. Um, but I love to be home, and I love to see the kids and, and be a part of their lives and, um, you know, sit, sit in that, you know, family. So, because I, I have fun with my family. But um, the balance is... I think a week by week, I think I figured out that it's really a day by day, week by week thing. So, mm-hmm. okay, so this week, here's my schedule. I'm home or I'm traveling or, and I am hyper vigilant about getting ahead of my kids' schedules. So I look at their schedules and I, you know, have to plan. Here's when their schedules are. And we have a great au pair that comes once a year and stays with us. And so we have help that really helps us. A, keep French and the French culture alive in our house, but mm. also helps us get our kids from place to place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I look at, you know, it's planning and it's foresight and it's a lot of those goals that we talked about and making sure we're sticking to those and, and then being available for my kids when they call and need help on their homework or um, can you come to my soccer practice or, you know, and I work at a company where, um, you know, we value our our people and our you know what that that we're more than just the deal that we're bringing in or the the client that we're working on that there's a whole life out there that we have to be holistic holistically attached to and so therefore you know for me to go you know off to see a soccer game is not going to kill it for anybody because I'll still be doing what I need to do right yeah i think that we were I talking recently way. about the fact that we re- there really is no separation of of life and career it re- it's just all blended together and and companies that acknowledge that I think are doing a great service to uh, the people that work there in in allowing them to to understand that it's it's all one big life it's there's no separation I would say that's that's certainly true where I am particularly in in my role and in and also the way that I choose to live it I mean I have no problem working on a weekend or working at night if if I feel the pressure to get something done or the requirement to get something done, that's the expectation. And, you know, that's what I have signed up for and I'm more than happy to do it. And, um, you know, I think going back to, you know, being kind of having the puzzle pieces in in place, I feel like I can be able to pay, I'm able to pace that a little bit more today than I would have been earlier in my career, where I have 
for whatever reason, put an enormous amount of pressure on myself. Yeah. Have to, you to be something or succeed at something? Yeah. I'm curious to know if you've had any instances or experiences in your career where you felt that being a woman um, stood out, or you know, um, I, I have heard that there there are few women in C-suites in advertising, and I was very very surprised by that. Um, do you do you see that changing? And has there been any experience in your own career where you felt uh, maybe that you were treated not the way you should be because you were a woman? Um, it's funny that you asked me that. So in sports, I don't, I, I find, I find that rare, rarely do I feel that way. Um, you know, having grown up with five brothers, I'm the, probably the, the last person you should ask because I never am aware that I'm the only woman in the room because right. I was always the only <laughs> you always were. girl in the room, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, I always was. Um, so when I find it, I find it in things like, we're going on a guy's boondoggle to go golfing or we're, you know, and it's, (laughs) it's a guy's club that you're just never going to be a part of. But I do find that when you're doing business in, in sports and entertainment, there is a lot of respect to, to women in the industry. Um, I don't know about advertising, but certainly within the sports industry, there are a ton of, of women. And in fact, this week we're going, there's a, a, a conference out in, um, near LA and Dana Point and we host our seventh annual ladies only cocktail for women in the sports industry because we love to celebrate uh, the wonderful women in this industry that are there you know just blazing trails and and doing great things and that's not to say the men are doing anything less but yeah but you know we should we should be out there you know high-fiving each other as well encouraging each other yeah good I I love to hear that um yeah we're we're out of time already it went really quick today and um, I, I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to, to talk about your story and your career and, and for doing it so openly there. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time, So I appreciate it. And continued success to you and please stay in touch with the show. Excellent. Thanks so much. Okay. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Be sure to check out our website at womentowatch.net and have a great week. Thank you. Website.